Hey, what's up? It's Brad Ryder. The basic concept here is that I have just not been podcasting, broadcasting, doing anything along these lines for a while, and I want to do it. And I have too many ideas, so I'm like spending forever trying to shape and form and come up with the name and the artwork and the system. Look, I'm going to just start recording things and putting them out there, and I decided to just call the podcast Writer Radio for now because... Well, it's sort of an emergency in that UB's head coach for football just left, and that creates a uh, lengthy conversation that I need to have with Scott Wilson, one of the guys that I work with, along with Paul Peck, on the University of Buffalo football uh, broadcasts. So I had a conversation with Scott, and I'm trying to fit everything into like this new format, this five-at-a-time thing, and it's going to be trivia-related and connected to community beer works and all this stuff that I'm trying to put together. But the bottom line is uh, this information, this conversation is timely. It's from late last night, and I've spent all day today, which is, uh, what, Wednesday? Wednesday, I think. I don't know. The kids are off from school because of snow, so the days are messed up. Yeah, it's Wednesday. Uh, they're off tomorrow, too, already, even though it's barely snowing here. Whatever. Um, so the bottom line is, here is a lengthy conversation uh, between me and Scott Wilson, who's awesome and will be a part of the podcast moving forward. But this is just going to be uh, – I'm putting this out there because it's it's timely. It's time to do it. And there are a lot more plans. There's a lot more to come uh, regarding the podcast, a more organized version of it, a more uh, intentional use of specific audio. There's all kinds of stuff in my head. But this is just a conversation, and it's time to put it out there. So here I am with Scott Wilson talking about college football, the landscape of college football, um, really the fallout from the retirement of Nick Saban. Uh, Saban goes away, and all of a sudden, a bunch of head coaching opportunities are, are available because guys are bailing on group of five jobs to become staff members at Alabama. What does it mean? What happens for UB? Listen up to Scott Wilson. He's got all the answers. Thanks for listening. All right, so the text you sent me said, Saban retiring has resulted in Washington, Arizona, San Jose State, Buffalo, South Alabama, all looking for new coaches. This all just happened within the last week. What is going on in a college football landscape that is already incredibly difficult to navigate because of the whole portal system? Um, but now, the, the way dominoes fall when the big coach announces he's done is crazy. What are the, uh, what's the impact going to be on the, the whole world of college football here? Well, you're right. Um, I, I think one thing that it's showing is in both the movement of uh, Maurice Linguist from Buffalo and also South Alabama losing their coach. Uh, it's showing that the gap between specifically the Big Ten and SEC and everybody else is growing exponentially faster than we can really fathom. Um, I know for you and me, it would you would never see a head coach give up their head coaching position to go somewhere else and be a coordinator. That just wouldn't happen ever <laughs> for us growing up and even so much right. as 10 years ago. Right. Is it Sean Lewis that set the precedent? Um, 
Not necessarily, but it it's, you know, that happened last year going from Kent State, a program where, you know, it's really hard to win there. It's, it's dang near impossible. And he got them winning bowl games. And when an opening came up for the job at Cincinnati and he didn't get it, and he's saying, listen, if if I can't get recognized for being able to win eight games at Kent State and go into, you know, contending for MAC championships and winning bowl games for an in-state job, you know, going from Kent to Cincinnati, and I can't get that, what is going on? Now, he's back in the group, in f- group of five this year after he was, you know, out there in the Deion Sanders experience and got thrown under the bus about halfway through the season and he's at San Diego state now. And, you know, that's a pretty good move overall for those of us that know Kent, Ohio, you know, outside of not having Bellachinos, he's <laughs> living in San Diego now, but yeah, I think, I think it's just going to show that, you know, Maurice linguist making 475 flat rate with 200, K extra in in you know bonuses and other stuff and escalators that he can get to, so right around six fifty, you know, per year, and he's gonna go to Alabama as a DB coach and co defensive coordinator and probably make over a million dollars, and that's pretty tough to turn down. Yeah, um, and, well, even if it even if it is a quote unquote demotion, it's doubling your pay reducing the salary and for somebody in in coach Mo's situation he's uh, in a tailspin and he's pulling the cord before things get worse and he's going to leave of his own volition and not get fired so yeah. i think it's the right you know, move it, it i think it's the right move it. for him and i think the the financial aspect is one thing but to go back to the sean lewis thing the fact that you can get from kent state to San Diego State with one brief stop at a high-profile job is a pretty good indicator because of, of the fact that it's not just financial motivation. It's if you are dreaming of moving up and up and up in the world of college football, making the leap up in school or in conference seems to now be more important than making a move up in job title. So taking that step down and getting more money to now have a higher profile, I guess, availability for when the next big job at a big school comes up, it it all kind of fits together to the point where I don't even think it's necessarily that the money is at the core of it. Right. Um, You know, if if you're, I think right now, unlike even 10 years ago, it is easier to make a move from coordinator of an sec school to head coach of an sec school as opposed to what we're kind of used to is these schools are only looking for guys with head coaching experience and usually those guys would only get that head coaching experience by going to group of five schools and it's it's not that way anymore it's not it's not viewed the same they're taking the coordinators. They're taking guys that don't necessarily have head coaching experience. Now, obviously, Alabama is different, but um, you know, if you look at the lower level SEC, it's not the Mississippi States, the Vanderbilts. You know, those type of schools. 
used to be basically a direct pipeline from Sunbelt schools, Conference USA, MAC, where you had to have head coaching experience to get one of the quote-unquote big-time jobs. You, you, you don't need it anymore. And because of that shift, plus the money, um, it, it's it's making that divide even bigger. So, you know, Alabama's got a team that has three Division One head coaches on there between yeah. DeBoer and Womack and, and, and Coach Moe. So, you know, it's um, – I, th- I think on top of that, another th- kind of thing that no coach will ever admit to really openly because everybody thinks that they can do everything. It's kind of their mentality that they have to have. Coaching a group of five program, this is not just Mac, this is group of five, has become in the last three years very challenging because it used to be the Boise State's the Northern Illinois, the Buffalo, when you could get those schools with a nice head coach that had a, had a, a, an ability for talent evaluation, they could challenge big time because they could find the diamonds in the rough and they had them for four years to shape them and mold them. And now the situation has turned to if you're at Tulsa, or, you know, if you're at Florida International and you get a stud wide receiver and he goes out and he has a 900 yard season with 12 touchdowns and he returns punts, guess what? He's never playing for your team again. He's going to get paid money. The transfer portal has no more restriction on transfer, so you don't have to sit out a year. He's gone. So all the reward for being able to be in that position to say, all right, well, you know, our stadium only holds 30,000 people and we're a smaller school in a smaller town, but we evaluate talent, but we develop talent. It's hard to do that in the group of five now. And you're seeing that those losses are now being replaced with guys in their last year or last two years of eligibility coming transfer portals and a lot of those guys coming down from the, the, the power five programs who, you know, for one reason, reason or another didn't break through. So it's really hard to build any type of continuity or program around in that group of five era, because, you know, if they're good and you did the job to identify the talent and they're there and it showed up, they're gone. And you have to replace those with guys that, already have some bad habits built up mm-hmm. or couldn't catch it and it's really hard to, to build a program like that anymore at the lower level yeah, which you, used to kind of be the advantage in the it, mac you know what it sounds I like got four, it, i got four or five year guys and you don't yeah and it's, it's not it, that way anymore it sounds like i'm a pittsburgh pirates fan and i bring up this incredible prospect and somebody uh, you know a couple hundred miles away is saying yeah that guy's gonna look great in pinstripes because he's going to go, <laughs> and there's nothing yep. you can do about it. So imagine the frustration of being the general manager or a scout when you're out there, you're finding this talent, and no matter how well it goes for you, best-case scenario, the guy's going to be great 
and then he's going to leave. So what are you what are you trying for? Are you trying to recruit C plus players who don't like moving? I mean, what what do you do? How does that change the mentality? And is there an there has to be an adjustment to be made? But if you're trying to make one, what would it be? Um, if if I was going to make an adjustment, I, I think that there needs to be you know an overall adjustment of you know whether it's all the FBS teams need to get together and agree that they're going to do some type of revenue sharing, which will never happen <laughs> because the big 10, you know, right. you're not going to give 50 million dollars a team. And all of a sudden they're going to say, all right, well, we'll take 40 so that we can give $10 million to central Michigan. They're it's not, not happy happen. with, with it being split amongst a group of five uh, and, and by five, I mean, you know, the, the big boy conferences, but uh, they're not happy with power five. Right. They want it all. They want everything. Right. And they I mean, is it ever going to reach a point where SEC and big 10 are competing with one another or are they working together? Have they decided that you need both of those chunks of real estate? Um, no, I think that they, would like to have it all. And then in the process, they're trying to gobble up everything else to eliminate competition. I mean, that's just, you know, kind of the way it is, uh, you know, <laughs> the sec this year complaining going into the, to the playoff that, you know, Georgia was good and they should get in. And even though they lost the sec championship game, they're still the best team. And we should have had a, uh, you know, the 12 team playoff by now. The reason they didn't have the 12 team playoff was because they start they took Texas and Oklahoma. So everybody else banded together to try and keep it there <laughs> to try and stop the bleeding and said no, we're not going to 12 teams. Yeah. And they had to band together to fight that. And then the Big 10 said, "Well, you know, we can kind of join that group and, <laughs> and just start siphoning off other teams and, you know, everything imploded." And I you know, no one likes it. No one wants these changes, but they all keep happening. <laughs> you know, it's money. The money is talking, and it's it's making it really hard for a group of five. So one way is, is joining together, figuring out a plan of revenue sharing with the players and all the programs. Two, which I think is probably the more likely – there's probably going to be about 50, maybe 60 uh, teams that decide to break off, set their own rules, make their own money, and it, that's going to be the new Division One, and everybody else will file into a new, you know, Division One Double A. All right, let's take this to the uh, the Buffalo version and the the Buffalo view of things. What happens um, in this situation for the UB Bulls? Obviously, a lot of Parts have been moving around um, in in the coaching circuit. It's not like last time where it was, you know, a couple months later than this when UB found out they had an opening. Um, but it is still a little bit late in the game, and obviously coaches are being gobbled up, including uh, the now former Bulls head coach. So how do you play this if you're uh, athletic director Mark Allnut? Well, um I think that the first thing that I would do is evaluate where the program is and what has gone on the last, I'll say two and a half years, even though it's three seasons because of the unusual nature of the hire last time. So, um, and I think, 
I think uh, I would try to think of the identity that I would want for the program, you know, and then try to find someone that best fits that. And if I can find somebody with head coaching experience, I think that that's a plus um, for a lot of the good things that, that Coach Mo did for UB. I think that there was also a lot of a learning curve there as well, being a first-time head coach. Um, coach Mo had never even been uh, a coordinator. So um, I think that there was just a lot on his plate and a lot to learn, and it kind of showed overall in the program. Um, I saw there was one article today, and I don't remember who wrote it, but um, kind of called it a, an erratic tenure, and I think that that's accurate. Fairly, fairly right. Four and eight, seven and six, three and nine and you know a couple of back-to-back years with 0-4 starts and two straight fcs losses but then also some great wins over some you know division rivals so um a little bit all over the place and i think that i would look for somebody that has that head coaching experience that could bring a vision a little bit more stability something you know obviously lance leipold set set the bar um uh, he's not going to come back. <laughs> no, I wouldn't expect that at all. Um, no. I guess I wonder, and I, I felt this way from the start with uh, with Mo Linguist, the way he, because you said he'd never been a coordinator. He was, what, co-defensive coordinator at Michigan, although they what never played a, a game while he was there. I mean, right? So he yes. took that job and was already looking around for another job. And came in late, and then spent two and a half years still talking about how he came in late in his first year. I don't know, man. There was just something there the whole time that felt like, and and it is the world of college football. But with some people, like it felt to me like Lance Leipold made a difficult decision to move to to walk out on UB and go to Kansas. And I don't begrudge him at all for doing it. It felt to me though that like morally he was a little conflicted, like man, you know, I, I really have built something here and I could be here for a long time and this is a good job and people have been good to me, but what a tremendous opportunity. I'm going to have to take it. And I, I felt like Mo Linguist, in part because he came here before ever really coaching at Michigan after taking that job, that he was just looking beyond this the entire time. And I think that kind of hung over his tenure as a head coach in Buffalo. Yeah, um, I would agree. He's a, you know, he's a go-getter. He's a motivated guy. Um, the Bulls, his second year, seven and six, won the bowl game, uh, the Camellia Bowl, and then all of a sudden, kind of out of nowhere, you know, he was one of the three guys that was a finalist for the Cincinnati job. That took us all a little bit by surprise, and uh, you know, it it was not a surprise at all whenever we heard his name come up and everything because it was you know, fairly obvious that he was shopping quite a bit, uh, or at least having his representative shop him quite a bit. And this move is surprising in that it's Alabama, but um, if you had said that this move was made a month ago and it was to Texas A&M with a guy that he had worked for in Mike Elko, who's the new head coach down there for the Aggies. And he was going to be in the same position and the same situation and going down there. 
I don't think anybody would have been surprised. I think we're just surprised because of the timing. You know, we kind of thought that the wheel was over. <laughs> you know, the, the carousel had slowed down quite a bit, and if not a complete stop, and Saban jumped off. And all these things started to happen here in the last week, week and a half. And it's just kind of surprising that, that this is the opportunity that he's taking. Uh, taken. But um, not surprising that he has decided to depart at all. Because, like you said, it, it always felt like it was being treated as a very strong jumping-off point. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, you know, that's, what, that's what the school is. Ambition, that, that's what the MAC is. You know, that's Turner Gill went on. Um, Lance went on. Right. Um, Bobby Hurley, now, Nate Oates, Alan Green right. as an AD, Ward Manuel as an AD. Yeah, of course. And I remember hoping... You know, 25 years ago, like, why can't we just become a stepping stone program? Let's get some talent in here and they can go and then we'll just refresh it. And people will come in because it's an attractive job, because you see, they see that other people have had it before and can move up. And I get all of that. And I get that that's the way the world works and the, the whole landscape is. But there are some guys where it's just it's way too front and center about them and you can't not see it. And I kind of have felt that way about Mo compared to Lance Leipold, who I honestly believed, Hey, he might stay here for 15 years. He might, I, I know he could move up. I know he's better than, um, he can earn more money and take a better job. I, I felt like there was still a chance. He was like, you know what? This is pretty good. I kind of like it here. And I obviously never felt that way with Mo. It's no knock on him. He's allowed to do it. He's got a better job today than he had yesterday. So good for him. Um, what do the Bulls do now? Do you, I, I feel like we've been through this a few – I know we've been through this a few times. And I feel like every time I've asked you for a list of candidates – when I go back and check out what you said a month later or whatever it ends up being, you've always got the guy on the list, whether it's your preference or not. It's always somebody you bring up. So I'm always curious to hear your thoughts when uh, a job close to home becomes available. Uh, well, I mean, I got a list of like 30, 30 yeah. guys. On I know. <laughs> I know, but you it's know. always on there. The uh, name is always on there. For for UB people, I think the the – the one thing that you're probably holding on to is the Leipold era. Um, if there's one thing to be said, it's coach Mo took over a team that was coming off a season where they were ranked in the top 25 in college football of America. Like that was that happened. real. Yeah. That happened. They were awesome <laughs> and uh, took that over. And yes, there was a, a lot of departures, especially on the off went four and eight. So, you know, I think a lot of people are probably hoping to get back to that. And with uh, Andy Kotelnicki taking the offensive coordinator job over at Penn State, that probably would have been the first name that would have come up. Um, but a couple of other on uh, a couple of others on that offensive side of the ball, Jim Zabrowski, who's the quarterbacks coach, he develops quarterbacks everywhere he's been. He has been a head coach before. He coached D three at Lakeland, uh, who, by the way, are the Muskies. I learned nice. Uh, they, he was 28 and 12, took them to the first ever time to the D3 playoffs. Um, great guy, like one of the great college football personalities that has really come through uh, UB. Really, really good guy. Uh, his son also is a great quarterback, Division II quarterback right now. I don't know 
what the situation is there, but like he broke all kinds of division two passing records this year. So listen, the guy can coach quarterback. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Would that be um, an easier? So not knowing that that might be a window here. There might be a window here where Jim Zabrowski's kid isn't ready to make the leap to Alabama, but might be ready to make the leap to the Mac. And maybe this would be a fit. Huh? Is there anything there? Maybe. I don't know. I'm just throwing uh, listen, it out there. I'm open to I it. I like Jim, I'm man. open to it. Uh, and then Scott Fuchs, who was the offensive line coach uh, for UB when they were mowing guys down, uh, if you go back and look at what the offensive line would have been, the starting offensive line would have been if Lance and company had stayed the next year, there's, I think, four, what turned out to be four all-conference power five starters on that on that front pretty um, good he yeah and he has experience with lance but then also winning national championships at north dakota state like he he's he's a bona fide dude and players loved him uh on that offensive line another name you're definitely going to hear probably brian polian the polian name in western new york is obviously well known a uh, former head coach over there in Nevada. Um, he always had them in bowl contention. They canned him, and they haven't been really all that good since. Right. Um, obviously, he was an assistant for a long time in Notre Dame. He's the athletic director right now at John Carroll, so he's making 600K. Um, so it'd be interesting if he wanted to get back into the head coaching game at this point after having uh, a nice administrative job. Uh, like that, but you know, he's a name that you're definitely going to uh, hear. Um, another guy who was rumored to be one of the finalists when uh, Coach Mo was hired was Joe Harasimiak, who is the defensive coordinator at Rutgers, former head coach at Maine. Uh, had a lot of success up there in Maine. Uh, he's making one mil a season, so he's going to have to take a pay cut. But if he wanted to get into the head coaching game, he could. He's obviously got the bona fides with Shiano, who knows how to build programs, and he's got a lot of Northeast ties uh, as far as recruiting goes. So, like I said, you know, we haven't sat down and looked at a list of guys that were absolute finalists last time, but from the sources that I know and trust, his name was definitely in there as one of the guys that was was up for it. And I think that even if you looked around conference, there's some guys um, – Vince Karras, who was the defensive coordinator at Toledo. He's been there since 2020, but was the Mountain Union head coach mm. for a long time um, and won the 15 and 17 D3 titles. Some of those six losses that we all heard a lot about with Lance came at the hands of him. And his head coaching record at Mount Union was 95 and 6. Okay. And he's got the Mac the Mac background. One thing he's never really left the state of Ohio. So I don't know if he wants to. Um, and that's not a slight at, at UB. That's just some guys don't want to leave home. You know what I mean? Sure. So, um, he finally got the itch to try to go up and see if he could do it at the top level. And I think that over the last three years and us seeing them too, that we can definitely say, Toledo's defense has been pretty good. <laughs> yeah, there um, are things to like about what we've seen out of the Rockets. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's that's a guy that's got 
for real head coaching experience and is kind of in the mold of Lance in that he has a, a, a not just success. Yes, it's at a lower level, and yes, it's success at a lower level. It's gaudy success. Right. It's 95-6. and six. You know, like yeah. Kalen DeBoer's record, all right, yeah, it's NAIA, but he was like 120-12. and 12. <laughs> You know, it's like, you know, it's undeniable. The dude, like, something's going right. Um, it's not like he's a, a 50 and 20 coach. Right. No, um, it's, it's so, extreme. And that's, it reminds me of obviously of, uh, when they hired Lance. And I remember thinking, look, everybody else we're talking about either hasn't been a college football head coach or has, and has failed at it. This guy has been a college football head coach and has had nothing but success as a college football head coach that's pretty cool. And now it's like, well, will it translate when you move it up? That kind of success? Probably to a certain extent. He knows something. He's doing something right. So I I like that you're not getting into the retreads and you're also not getting into the let's see how this guy who's great with a playbook is with running an entire program. Because especially when you think about all the, the new stuff that we're talking about, all the um, you know, the portal stuff and just the way everything's crazy right now. Um, I, I don't know that I want somebody stepping into all of that and you're just a head coach for the first time. So I like the, the college success at a, at a lower level for sure. Well, if you like that, let me throw a couple of names out there and they're interesting for, for this purpose. They're successful, but they're SUNY coaches. And right. okay. Anybody that has dealt with the State University of New York, whether as a student or an employee or in any way, knows that it's it's a unique system. And having a little bit of a lay of the land of that, no matter what level you're at, is probably a plus. Okay. Um, Albany's head coach is Greg Gattuso. Um, we remember him from seven or eight years ago when they beat UB 22-16. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the head coach. Uh, for that, he was also the head coach at Duquesne, where he's 97 and 32 uh, as a head coach there. And he took over uh, in Pennsylvania, his high school, Seton LaSalle. He was 28 and 10 after they had been 6 and 34. Um, so he turned that around. Penn State alum from 83. And he's coming off of a trip to the semifinals of the FCS playoffs this past season, making about 270K. So he could double that and move down the throughway if you wanted to. Um, built it up, has had uh, really good quarterbacks the last three, four years where they've catapulted themselves into the playoffs and really been in contention. The other name I'm going to throw out there is coming off of winning the Division Three National Championship, and that's Kurt Fitzpatrick from Cortland. Uh, grew up in Fulton, went to St. John Fisher, um, got an MS from Ohio University in 2012. He is 20 and three at Cortland, and the Red Dragons just stomped their way through everybody in Division Three and won the national championship. And I know that there's not a lot of meat on that bone, like having a 95 and six record. But I mean, I've been to Cortland, and the dude just won a national championship there. 20 and three, I respect yeah. <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah. 
Uh, well, and, and you mentioned right down, so we're talking Sun- we're talking somewhat local. We're talking SUNY. We're talking. You said he went to Ohio also, so there's a Mac connection there. He'll he'll answer the phone if you call him. I'm sure of that. Oh, for sure, for sure, yes. Um, a couple of other guys on here um, that I've got that have had coaching experience. Brandon Moore is the head coach at San Diego. Now, I know you might think that that's way too West Coast. Uh, you may also know him as the brother of Rob Moore, who uh, is currently a wide receiver coach, but also played in the NFL. He had some time. Uh, Brandon Moore had some time with the 49ers uh, as well. Uh, and he won a national championship at Oklahoma in 01. But he was also head coach at the Colorado School of Mines. And that's a real school. It's Division Two. He took them to the national championship game where they lost. He's not a West Coast guy. He's from Baldwin, New York on Long Island. And has Northeast ties. But got his start out West because he played. He was coming off the NFL and the 49ers. So... He's got head coaching experience. Uh, San Diego this year, he's they're kind of in the middle of a rebuild where he took over there. He's got a brother that's in the NFL that he could kind of also talk to and bounce things off of. He's an up-and-comer. And uh, I, I think there's some potential there if he wanted to come back home and come back to the East Coast where uh, where he grew up in the same state. That's brother um, of Rob Moore, like Syracuse on the Jets, Rob Moore? Yes. Nice. Yep. All right. Um, also, a name that we're actually really familiar with because he was on the staff last year, Shane Montgomery, was the offensive coordinator. He has had coaching experience at Miami, Ohio. Um, he was the offensive coordinator last year, third season where the Bulls ever have had a 3,000-yard passer. That was him. Uh, he was not on the staff this year, and there was a and it showed. It showed <laughs> he was not there. There was a big drop off. They won a bowl game with him, and he's another dude that's just a good guy and a football dude. And I think a guy at the point of his career that if you wanted to have a guy say, "Listen, I want to be a head coach. I think I'm good enough," and unless you know, one of the big, big, big schools comes calling. I'd like to coach here. I want to coach here. I think he's going to throw his hat in the ring and say, I want this job. And to me, that becomes attractive. Uh, A guy with experience that is coming to me saying, I can do this. I've had success here last year. I want this job. And I think that that is probably going to demand some attention. Um. You know, you said that there are some retreads. Rick Stockstill from Middle Tennessee State, 113 wins over 18 years, always had them in bowl contention. He's 66. So I don't know. Maybe, you know, he's living down there in Tennessee and didn't want to move. Uh, Dino Babers just got fired from from Syracuse, and he won a MAC championship at BG. He could be in play. Um, Don't know if he necessarily wants to, but he could just move the family down might not even have to move his family, honestly. Uh, right. <laughs> just going down two two hours down the throughway. Um, th- those are basically my guys that I've got. Oh, and I've got one other guy here. And this is a personal favorite of mine. Okay. Just won the national championship in Division Two at Harding University. He runs the flex phone. 
So we're talking triple option. Okay. He's 50 and 13. And no one has more rushing yardage than Harvey. Or fewer passing. I I think <laughs> if I'm right, I think if if I have my memory correct, I think they threw 68 times this year. Okay. Because that'll they catch just, you by surprise. It's exactly the right number to catch people by surprise. You got up to they, 70, they're expecting it. Down at 66. That's right. They just ran through everybody. And I think one thing that's interesting, we talked about how hard it is at group of five. Well, guess what? Maybe I need to go outside of the box and stop acting like everybody else and say, you know, more schools in this country in high school run triple option than run the spread, I bet. So, why can't I go get those guys and just hammer everybody with a system that no one else plays? Because that's what's happening. At Division Two. they are hammering teams. They got to the national championship and crushed this year. And he's a lifer. Paul Simmons, he's a lifer down there for Harding. He played there. He's coached there. So, I, you know, maybe he does want to leave. You know, he's that's his school or whatever. But I'm open to it. I'm open to saying, all right, listen, so maybe the way we have to combat that is to think way outside the box and we have to run flex phone and we have to throw something different on the table that no one else is going to be doing. And I know a lot of people say it can't be done, but Paul Johnson went from Navy down to Georgia Georgia Tech Tech. and had them in the top ten like three times in ten years at Georgia Tech. I don't hate this idea. I don't hate this idea. You didn't lead with this, but I don't hate this idea because I did start off asking you, like, what is the approach? What do you do um, in the world of college football? Not just for UB, but, like, what does a group of five level team do to deal with as soon as I recruit a player and I turn him into something, he walks away? How do you deal with it? And and it's you play a different game. You, I mean, we've seen it from numerous games against Army. How it just it messes with your whole season, um, knowing that that weird offense is coming your way in a couple of weeks, and you need to know it, and you need to know it perfectly well for three and a half hours, and then you need to wipe it out of your memory until the next time they show up on your schedule, and it really messes with teams. And if you can be that, and you're playing a different game than other teams are playing, you give yourself an edge, and you give yourself a shot. Um, I don't I don't hate that at all, man. No, I, you know, and I, I, I love running the football, and to me, I think that that's kind of what I would lean into. All the best UB teams have always been run-based, uh, you know, run-first, oriented teams centered around a, a pretty solid offensive line and and um, a stable running backs that eventually goes to the NFL. Um, so that's kind of the way I would lean into. I, I do have some names here that don't have head coaching experience. All right. um, you know, offensive line coaches, Donovan Rayola from Nebraska. Hey, you want to be a head coach? Come on down. George Barnett is the offensive line coach at Iowa. They run pretty well. They don't do anything else, but that's not his fault. <laughs> his guys do their job. Uh, he also has coaching experience at Grand Valley State in Miami, Ohio, so he's got those Northeast ties and Mac. kind of a, a good thing, uh, footprint uh, as far as where he would need to be um, recruiting. Bill Bretchen is the defensive coordinator at Miami, Ohio. He's got Mac experience, national titles at Grand Valley State too. 
Um, Mac championship defense, Mac championship and Miami's defense since he's been there really, really good. Um, and consistent. Um, here's a name you uh, might have remembered, uh, from when he was a player, Mike Hart is Michigan running, uh, is the running backs coach and run game coordinator from Michigan. Hmm. Uh, he also has uh, assistant coaching experience at Western and Eastern Michigan. And he's from Syracuse, he right? Just, and he is a Syracuse native. Okay. So uh, I know that he has thrown his name in the hat here recently for head coaching jobs. He got an interview at Indiana when that, that spot opened up here recently. Didn't get it. Uh, but um, I think that that kind of indicates that he's looking to possibly take that next step up. And being a, a native New Yorker himself, and definitely, <laughs> he's definitely had his entire coaching career in the MAC footprint, between you know recruiting out of Ohio and Michigan and uh, you know the Northeast. So uh, he's a guy out there that could do it. Mike Yursich is the former Penn State offensive coordinator that just got fired. The knock on him at Penn State was that the offense was great except for against Michigan. And it's like, yeah. It's <laughs> pretty high standard. Yeah. Right. Like, no one else's offense was good against Michigan either. <laughs> so um, he, he kind of took, took one on the chin there for that. But he, he was a coordinator at Oklahoma State. Uh, he's been to Texas and Ohio State. Has um, Pennsylvania ties. Was at Shippensburg uh, as, as a coach as well. So... Um, he, he's got the Northeast ties, but also some big guys and he's unemployed right now. He's available. So you could, uh, you could, you could give him a talk. Um, one name that, you know, we kind of mentioned on Twitter here as the, the playoffs were going down, Bill Inge was the co-defensive coordinator at Washington this year. He's the former defensive coordinator at UB under Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was their linebackers coach last slash uh, co-defensive coordinator on the team that just was the runner-up in the national championship game. And Kalen DeBoer has left Washington and hired the UB coach to take Bill Inge's job with him on his new staff. So Bill Inge is still out there in Washington, but he's done a great job. And he was great when he was here at Buffalo as well. Um, those defenses that he had were always pretty solid. So he's a name I would I would definitely keep in the hat. And maybe a fun name to throw out there, a younger guy certainly does not have any um, play calling experience or head coaching experience, but neither did the guy we just hired uh, and is gone. Jay Harbaugh is Jim's son. Oh has been the special teams coach at Michigan. And obviously has come up in a family of coaches. And could be a fun name. He's younger. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe dad is leaving Michigan and he has a chance to step out on his own. And this would be a good time to do that. Just throwing it out there. All right. You've thrown many interesting names because this is what happens when you do this. You're given the pitch 
And I'm like, yep, that's the guy. I like him. And then you move on to the next guy, and I forget all about the previous guy. I'm like, ooh, that's a good guy. I like him. And you've done this to me uh, every single time we've talked about a coaching hire uh, over the past, whatever, 15 years or so. But uh, I think that means you do your uh, you do a good job. So thank you for all the so, information and all the names. I need to I need to throw two names out. You got two more. Okay. For For us. Okay. Just for us. Okay. Okay. Just for us. The first one is Ed Reed. <laughs> who was hired briefly by an HBCU and then it kind of fell apart. How did that fall apart? What what happened there? There was something really there crazy, was like right? There a funding issue where he kind of wanted more money and he wanted certain things to happen that he thought he was promised when he was hired. Okay. And then All right, so it's it not a crazy funny out. story. <laughs> no, it, it, he he felt like he was promised certain things that were going to change and be funded in the program. And when and they weren't, when he was disappointed. The and, and then it wasn't. He went public with it and embarrassed some of the people that signed the paychecks. Uh, <laughs> so okay. they kind of decided to leave. The other is, listen, could you ever imagine when in 1998, if you said to somebody or someone said to you, Deion Sanders is going to be head coach. <laughs> of Colorado, you'd say, yeah, all right, cool. Someone's going to make Tim Tebow their head coach. Oh, boy. Someone eventually is going to do it, right? I don't know. Is that so, is that a goal of his? Is that what he's trying to do? I, I don't know. It just feels like someone's going to make him do it. Is it going to be Liberty or something? I, yeah, right, right. There's just some church opening a oh. football program, so they make a T-bone. <laughs> Holy Cross. Right. Somebody's coming. Some, Holy Somebody's, something. Saint something. Someone's going to do it. You know. I'm sure he's a great Same. guy. Now that I haven't had to watch him play football for a while or listen to people argue about how he was going to be a successful NFL quarterback, I'm willing to have a conversation about him again. Um, now that it doesn't have anything to do with him playing because um, I hated watching him play. I mean, play. listen, we can always go to him and say, listen, we want a MAC championship with an option-based quarterback that didn't make it in the pros. His name was Turner Gill. It was awesome. It was great. <laughs> you can come down here and, and you know, listen, let's make some magic. <laughs> but I don't know. I just I feel like any name is on the table now that Deion Sanders is an actual coach. Of an actual program. I think in like September, any name could be on the table. But by the time that season wrapped up and it wasn't as pretty as as they were hoping, I don't know. The shine, the shine kind of came off of that. But I think you're right. Oh, Deion, yeah. Deion is such an extreme version of it to just say, yeah, I'm going to take one of the flashiest people in the history of a really flashy business and I'm going to put him in charge of my program. Uh, you kind of probably expect to get some bad with the good and they they certainly got some good um and it's it's not a total bust but it just you know the the hype that was surrounding it early uh i think you could have talked anybody into any former player as a head coach in you know the third week of september <laughs> right that's right